have the map up behind me tonight because in our narrative as we continue on our focus on the life of David and study of first and second Samuel um, David is going to be on the run today and it's really going to take a map some of you may not some of you may have good maps in your Bibles others may not and as much as hopefully you can see this better than the map that I passed around um, we're really going to need a map tonight to be able to follow everywhere where David has to run to. So I really wanted this tonight. Thankful for the half coats and setting this up without my laptop and all this coming together. So um, I believe that David would have agreed with the sentiment of that song. Lord, send me anywhere as he God gave him the ability to defeat Goliath. As he served the king, but we have to remember if we're going to sing that, we can't complain when God when God sends us. Don't look at my password here. <laughs> God really does send us or put us in situations that we didn't expect. David is going is going to continue to find himself in situations where he might have been tempted to say at times, Lord, you're really going to send me here? <laughs> you're going to have me go through this? And yet David is on track now. And he, here is one of the important emphasis of this passage, um, 1 Samuel 23, where he's literally all over the place. We're going to see one constant in David's life. He constantly seeks the Lord's guidance. And that's, folks, what we need when the unexpected comes and God sends us in different ways, whether it's situations in our job or situations with family or, you know, situations in our local government. I mean, you name it. There's all kinds of things we face in our ministry and things that, that we, we face many times the unexpected because we're not God. We don't know what's going to happen on a day-to-day -day basis. So in the midst of those unexpected times, as David's going to see uh, go through tonight, are we constantly looking for God to guide him, for guidance? That's a key question as we work through this. Well, you remember where we left off. Um, David left Nob with Goliath's sword here. That's where number four is, one, two, three, four. And um, even though it does seem like he had some guidance from Ahimelech, the main priest there at Nob, by the time he gets to the wilderness here, it seems like he gets into a panic and ends up running to the enemy, the Philistines, with Goliath's sword. Not the best idea. Well, God delivers him from that, and we've gone through that. We won't go through that again. And David, we find out through Psalm 34, written immediately after his experience there, running from the king of Achish, um, the king, one of the kings of the Philistines there near Gath. Psalm 34 lets us know that David stopped panicking at that point, got the right mindset in his life, and then started looking practically at what his responsibilities were. His first responsibility was as he moved toward the center of the tribe of land from the tribe of Judah here, I need to take care of my family. He had his family come to him from five to six um, here, meet up with him. And then he had a bunch of other men who were outcasts, outlaws, that had complaints, that had difficulties with the system, so to speak. 
um, join him. And by the time we get to our narrative today, he's up to 600 men. So God is blessing David with his own mini army here. And then he realizes, I need to take care of my parents. Uh, it looks like I'm going to be on the run, and my older parents can't deal with that. They, they can't run like I can. So the hands up all the way over here in Moab. Um, the king of Moab, who is a relative, um, he is the great-grandson of Ruth, remember, from Moab, takes his parents on. They're safe. He ends up back here in what may be Masada, and he's kind of hidden away. He and his um, armies and the men with him are secure. They're safe, and the prophet Gad receives a message from the Lord and says, no, David, God doesn't want you to dwell here in security and safety forever. He wants you to move back to this area. He has something that he wants you to do. Now, that's a whole lot closer to King Saul, who is still on the rampage. And again, we'll see that in, in the passage today. And that may have made David a little nervous. We're going to see in today's passage that God did have a purpose for David being here near the forest of Hereth is a possibility that this is where it's located. And so we're going to um, get to that point now. But I wanted to read too. Um, remember the whole situation with Doag, the Edomite, and how he came to tell Saul where David was and um, told him that Saul, uh, David had just been to Dab. Remember the awful, awful story we saw last week where Saul sends Doag. Um, first of all, he brings the priests in his presence, the ones that helped David. They didn't know there was any problem between Saul and David, right? They were just helping a fellow servant who had been faithfully served Saul all for, for a while. He was well known. Why wouldn't these priests help David? And Saul is so angry and so out of his mind with rage that he has Doag kill all of these priests. 85. And then as he's on a rampage, sends him to this town of Nob and wipes out the whole town. What do you think was going through David's mind when all that happened? And remember then Abathar, the one priest that escaped, the son of Ahimelech, comes to David. Turn quickly to Psalm 52. I want you to see, because remember, where do we see David's mindset in his heart? Not all the time in the narrative, but it's in the Psalms that he writes. In Psalm 52, I just want you to read this so we know David's mindset in the midst of this really awful circumstance of these priests being slaughtered and their, their families, the whole town being annihilated, small children, all because of the jealous anger of one out-of-control king. David might have looked at that and said, Lord, I, I can't. What can I do against this? This is just too much for anybody. I mean, this is awful. This is what his mindset is, verse Psalm 52. And we know because the title is when Doag the Edomite came and told Saul and said unto him, David is come to the house of Ahimelech. He says, why boasteth thy, thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. The tongue deviseth mischiefs. Like a sharp razor working deceitfully, thou lovest evil more than good, and lying rather than to speak righteousness. And we know who he's referring to, Doag and probably King Saul. Thou lovest all devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. 
is Doag, it seems like when we get to this narrative, Doag gets away with his awful deed, right? Truly awful. And yet David reminds us there will be a reckoning with Doag and with King Saul. Verse 5, God shall likewise destroy thee forever. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee, thee out of the land of the living. Just as you wiped out that whole city of righteous people, Doag, one day God's going to remove you from the land of the living as well. And then the righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. And now that is not a mocking laugh, but it's the type of... Obviously, this isn't any sort of joking matter, but it's God's reaction at the foolishness of men who think that they have the upper hand. It looked like in this situation with what Doag did that there was no hope. But David's reminding us that, no, this isn't the end of the story. God will have his way. Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it. And I will wait on thy name for it is good before thy saints. David's in the right mindset. He's not panicked any longer. And he says in the midst of these awful things, I am at peace. I wait on the Lord for his guidance and for his direction. And I know he will take care of us. And I know that he will be with us. And so you're going to see that spirit then throughout all these instances in 1 Samuel 23. So turn back there. You might call this chapter a week in the life or even a month in the life. We don't know how much time passes here for sure. In the life of a man on the run. In fact, you might say that we're going to be running with the renegade. Do you remember when we uh, different wars in, um, that had, has come up in the last 20 years or so? And um, certain news outlets would have embedded reporters going along with the troops. And we would get a good idea of a day-to-day type. How, how do these people function in the midst of these very stressful situations? Well, if you can kind of follow me with this. It's kind of like we're an embedded reporter, the vantage point, experiencing the struggles and victories of men who are outcasts, of David in particular. We're going to see this is what it's like to be David right now in the daily things. It's hard. So we're going to see, first of all, why did God have the prophet Gad tell David to move back to central Judah in the first place? So he could perform the responsibilities of a king since the current king was lax in his duties. Saul isn't really doing much of what he's supposed to be doing. He's obsessing on David. So God says to David, David, since Saul's not doing his proper duties, and what was his main duty that they elected? Well, they didn't elect, but chose Saul as king to fight the enemies. He's not doing a very good job of that. So God says, David, I want you to do the job that Saul's not doing. Chapter 23, verse 1. Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines fight against Kela, or Kela, and they rob the threshing floors. And I lost this again. This is really annoying. Hold on a second. Okay, David's hiding out here. There's this village town of Kela here um, in northern Judah of Israel. And the Philistines have now attacked this area. 
and they are robbing the threshing floors. They're basically plundering the stores of grain of the people of Kala for their own needs. And we're going to see in this narrative that most likely they, they brought their cattle with them, the Philistines have, and they're taking all of the needed. Remember how important uh, the, the Israeli farming system, they're a farming community, their harvest gets them through hard times. They have to have it. And when the enemy comes in and steals all of their grain and food, um, they're in really big trouble. They're, they're in difficult straits when this happens. And the Philistines are coming and taking their grain and probably giving it to their own livestock and taking of themselves. And this, this was a real hardship upon the people. And Saul, unfortunately, is nowhere to be found. He's still looking over his maps, trying to find David. So David, who has a heart, even though he's not king yet, he has a heart for his people more than Saul does. He inquired of the Lord. Notice he doesn't, he's not to the point now where he's just jumping in. I've got a plan, guys, let's go. Everything in this passage, he goes to the Lord. And he inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go and smite or the idea of attack these Philistines? And the Lord said unto David, go and attack the Philistines and save Kela. And David's men said unto him, Behold, we be afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we come to Kela against the enemies of the armies of the Philistines? So David inquires of God. God gives him the answer. I'll show you just in a minute specifically how God is giving David the answer. And God says, Yes, attack, defend the people of Kela from the Philistines, and I will give you victory. But all of David's men He's still kind of new to them as a commander. And they're saying, David, we don't like being in central Judah here. We really liked it in the security of the stronghold there at Masada or wherever it was. And we're already nervous. And you don't think that us battling the Philistines is somehow going to attract the attention of King Saul? We, we're with you. But in this, we're not really with you because we don't see how this is going to we, we're, we're nervous. Can, is this really, can, can you at least just ask God one more time to, to be sure before we do this? <laughs> David patiently, verse four, David inquired of the Lord yet again. And the Lord answered him and said, arise, go down to Kela, for I will deliver the Philistines into thy hand. And so David and his went, men went to Kela and fought with the Philistines, and they won the day. They brought away their livestock, and they struck them with a great slaughter. Really, the idea there is of a great blow. They were totally successful in this. Um, and it started with David seeking God's guidance and approval. Should I do this? And God said clearly he would. And now God is using David as his arm, even though he's not king yet, to deal with the enemy and help the people of Israel in a way that Saul refuses to do. Now, how did David get this answer from the Lord? Was it just uh, basically a voice from heaven? Well, no, it's more specific than this. Let's look at verse 6. This is the key verse in this whole passage and really this whole um, the, the whole of these episodes of David on the run, verse six. And when Abathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David from Kela or to Kela, remember, he had escaped the massacre at Nob and had come to David, but he had something very important. Not only was he the priest, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. 
Isn't that clear? Can't you see why David is now successful? Well, let's explain a little more what an ephod is. That is the priestly garment. And remember, inside the priestly garment, there were pockets and there were stones. I won't get into all the details of it, but there was something called the Urim and the Thummim. It's not mentioned in this passage specifically, but really this was these two stones. There were two stones, Urim and the Thummim. Don't think of them as dice, but somehow the priest was able to use these two stones to find out whether God wanted someone to do something or not. We really don't know if they were, they were different colors, perhaps, and one lighted up or somehow, somehow God had instructed these priests that when this urine and thum were put together or tossed or something, that it would become very apparent whether God was saying yes or no. Now, Saul, in wiping out the village of Nob, has now eradicated his last possibility of communication with God. And that's in David's hands now. And so David can go directly to the priest, Abathar, and Abathar can immediately find out for him what God wants him to do. And that's how he knew to go to Kayla, because whatever the priest did with the ephod and with the Jeremy through him, God made it clear. Notice how God's responses are very simple here. It's kind of a yes or no, really. And through this, makes it very quickly apparent what David's supposed to do. So he has the main communication device of the priest for God on his side. And God tells him, yes, attack the Philistines. David's men question this. David reaffirms God's answer. And God uses him, even as an outlaw, to save his people. God is still with David, even in the midst of all of this. His world is topsy-turvy. And yet God reminds him, I'm with you, and I've got a plan for you. I've got things I want you to do, David, even though your whole world is turned upside down. So obey me and follow me. Now, that what, what the men were fearful of happened in verse 7. And it was told Saul that David was come to Kayla. So isn't it interesting here that it seems like there were some of the residents that were rather ungrateful in the town, and they quickly turned informant. This is the greatest possibility here. People saw, or David had just saved this town, and most likely it seems somebody or a few of them went up and told Saul, hey, David's down here saving us. <laughs> they could add what you're supposed to be doing. And David and Saul is very glad for this information. Why would, why would somebody do this? We're going to see this happen again as well. Maybe the people in these towns feared Saul's wrath after they heard what he had done to the people in Nob. And these people, as much as they appreciated what David had done, they're thinking, as long as David stays in this town, what, could, what happened to Nob could happen to us. So we, we, we want to save our own necks here. Thanks, David. But we don't want to lose our whole town. So if Saul, David's here. And Saul said, God hath delivered him into mine hand, for he is shut in by entering into a town that hath gates and bars. Saul is so delusional, and if I can say, use the word narcissistic, that means very, very self-centered, that even he looks at all of these things, and he still sees God on his side, and he still hasn't comprehended the fact that God is not even with him at all. Uh, folks, I'll point this out again, but we need to pray 
sometimes we, we it is it is true that there can be times where we get ourselves involved in things that we shouldn't be involved in or doing things or have attitudes that God is not pleased with. And because we haven't been immediately disciplined or God is silent about things, we can deceive ourselves in thinking that he's approved of what we're what we've done. We're not even sure that and we're after what he did at Nob, we're pretty certain at this point, Saul is not really a true believer. But regardless, there is a warning here for those of us who think just because we've had success in something or God is silent means that he approves. Please don't think that. Always check, humble yourself before God, and make sure that what you're doing pleases God. Saul is um, deceived himself here in thinking that God has delivered David into his hand. God is going to save David multiple times from the hand of Saul. But he's thinking he's in town, in this town of Keilah. He's shut in. He can't get out. There's this, this town has gates and bars, and these people are on my side. And all they have to do is shut the gate, and David's trapped. So Saul summoned all the people together to war to go down to Keilah, a huge force. Why wasn't he concerned about the Philistines? He's consumed with anger about David. And he gets this huge force not to fight against the enemy, but again, to fight against his own people. All the people in the town of Kela are now in danger because of Saul's obsession here. To go down to Kela to besiege David and his men. He wants to put a siege around the town. Um, he wants to withhold food and water and all these things. And David will eventually have to come out. And yet, in the midst of danger, David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief, or this has the idea of was plotting harm against him. And so he said to Abathar the priest, bring the ephod here. David finds out Saul's plans. Maybe, again, it's from talking with Abathar, getting directly from God what Saul is, what's going on here. He knows that Saul wants or knows where he is and is after him. And instead of panicking, again, what does he do? He seeks God's wisdom in this. Bring the ephod here. And now we have a, a, a little bit more of a detailed account of how this works. And then said David, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant hath certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Kela to destroy the city for my sake. And he's probably thinking to himself, Lord, I don't want this to be another knob. That was awful enough. Lord, what do I do here? And God is going to make it very clear. He says, will the men of Kela deliver me up into his hand? When Saul puts siege around the city, will they deliver me up? Will Saul come down as thy servant hath heard? Are these reports true, Lord? Or is this just gossip? Are these false? And then he pleads with God. Oh, Lord God of Israel, please tell thy servant. And the Lord said very simply, he will come down, almost like you. They've um, through the Urim and the Thummim, God has said, yes, this will happen. Verse 12, then David said, will the men of Kela deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver thee up. And so David knows at that point, guys, it's time to go. It's time to get out of Dodge, or in this case, get out of Kela. And David and his men, which at this point are about 600, that's a good-sized army arose and departed out of Kela and went wherever they could go. David here has a superior communication system. Now, it, obviously, Saul has an effective 
um, reconnaissance and communication system. He's able to find out pretty quickly what he wants to know. But David's got an even more effective communication. He doesn't have to wait on spies, reconnaissance or reports. He can just go directly to God. God, is this going to happen? God says, yep. He says, okay, we're going to act on it. He has better. God, in the midst of great difficult situations, is helping David, has his hand upon David in a way that Saul will never have again. David has the advantage, even though it doesn't look like it. He has a superior communication system. So they get out of Kayla. They're searching for shelter and safely. And this now becomes the new normal in David's life at this point. They're on the run. They're constantly moving around, trying to find a new place. They're going to end up down here, five, six, down here in the land of Ziph, eventually. Um, in the wilderness of Ziph, excuse me, is where they're going to end up next. So from the forest here, they've had their success at Kayla, and now they're going to move around throughout here, and they're always on the run. They get another uh, report of what's happening with Saul, and they move on again. Not uh, a very exciting life, not something that David planned on, and yet God's still in control here. And it says um, they went wherever they could go, wherever they could find shelter. And it was told Saul that David was escaped from Kayla, and he forbade the King James says to go forth. Basically, that means to give up the expedition. Saul finds out. He's all excited. He's going to get him at this, this town. And all of a sudden, through his information circles, he finds out, nope, David's gone. And he says, ah, forget it then. We'll just wait a little longer. And David heads to the hills, so to speak. He's escaping from Saul's raging pursuit against him will now become a regular day in the life of David event. Verse 14, David remained in the wilderness in the strongholds and remained in a hill country in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God delivered him not into his hand. Do you think that that was wearisome for David? Every day he's got the threat of Saul. He's moving constantly throughout this wilderness area here. Guys, I heard another report. Let's move on over here. Let's move on over here. And there's probably women and children of these men involved and some of his own family members. All of them were weary. And yet God allowed them to go through these difficulties, but at the same time, God was with them the whole way. What does that tell us? God doesn't promise his children that he's going to remove them from difficulties. Those that say, just trust Christ and God will give you a wonderful life, free of problems. And then those folks, those pastors that say, then, and he'll make you rich on top of that too. Folks, that's, um, that's heresy. David would be shocked by that. We shouldn't expect an easy life. And sometimes it seems like God allows more difficulties and more stress and more problems. Sometimes you ever had a point in your life, thankfully, this isn't all the time. But have you ever had a situation in your life where it just seems like things are compounded and there's more? It's like, Lord, I can't handle anymore. And you take it to him and the Lord says, well, I know how much you can handle just trust me. And like David, my hand is with you. Just trust me. And David, in the midst of all this, trusts the Lord. And God brings David a wonderful encouragement here. Verse 15. And David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life. Every day he woke up realizing that he's one wrong turn from death 
you talk about stress. They're, they're secure here. Um, they find security in the woods near the wilderness of Ziph. That's what it says there. David was in the wilderness of Ziph in the wood or near Horish, at the wood of, of Horish, somewhere in, in this area here that you see behind me. In the midst of all this stress, Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into right where David was hiding out and strengthened his hand in God. I find this kind of humorous. Saul, even with this very effective intelligence network, cannot locate David at this point. But Jonathan's just like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go down and see David. I haven't seen him for a while. And I don't know if he had a secret shuttle or whatever, but just boom, boom, boom. He goes right down. He knows where David is in the wilderness. He obviously has his own intelligence um, network, or maybe somehow he's communicating with David. But he's just able to locate David, boom, and goes right down. In the midst of all this, he does what a godly friend should always do. He doesn't just give him a booklet of nice sayings from secular people or well-written platitudes. But what does he do? He strengthens his hand in God. Folks, again, the most encouragement we can ever give folks is reminding them of the love and the promises of God in their lives. Um, Sometimes when people are really grieving, they just need silence. But after that, it is appropriate at some point to remember that even in, to remind people, even in their darkest situations, that God is with them. And that is where Jonathan comes in and reminds him, God is with you. He does that in verse 17. And he said unto him, first of all, fear not. David, I know this, this has got to be tough for you. I can't imagine what you're going through, but don't be afraid. God's on your side. So don't be afraid, first of all. That's always good to remind people going through difficult things, that God is on their side for God's people, right? For God's people, that's a promise. Fear not. And then he says, for the hand of, my, of Saul, my father, shall not find thee. I know that God's going to protect you, David, and I'm convinced. And Jonathan is an optimist. Let's, let's, it's obvious throughout. And that's a good thing. I tend to be at times more of an optimist, much to the chagrin of friends that are cynics. <laughs> um, and that's, it's helpful. If we're all a bunch of cynics, we, we just despair all the time and be critical and, and never do anything, right? Jonathan's an optimist, and he reminds David, I know that God is more powerful than my dad, and you need to remember that, David. Saul is my dad is not going to find you. God is going to protect you and you will be king over Israel. David, I know God's plan for you. He will accomplish his plans. You're going to be king. Just be faithful. And I shall be next unto thee. David, I'm going to be, I'm your right hand man. I've got your back for the rest of your life. And then also, and that also Saul, my father knoweth. My father is angry because he knows God is with you and I am your friend. So don't let his anger get to you, David. God has this. What a wonderful encouragement. Um, and I'm sure it was great encouragement. Reminders of God's word and his promises always bring hope that insincere platitudes can never match. When people are going through difficult things, don't hand them a booklet of nice secular sayings. Give them God's word. Remind them God is with them. 
And at the same time, folks, there is another more sobering aspect to this. Jonathan is an optimist, and he does remind David of God's promises. But not even Jonathan could predict how God would realize his promises to David. And as encouraging as this portion of scripture is to see Jonathan's loyalty toward his friend, aren't we thankful for people that God puts into our lives that are loyal and remind us of God's goodness? Folks, as we're reminding folks of the promises of God, we can't promise how God is going to realize those promises in our lives. And Jonathan cannot predict how God would realize his promises to David. Here's the sobering aspect of this. The reality is Jonathan in his optimism still can't promise David that he will be his friend and advisor when he becomes king. That's what Jonathan thinks. But if you know the story, you know that he's not going to live long enough to see that take place for David, even though he wants to. And that's something that he and David don't expect. And here's the other aspect of this, if you didn't realize this already. This is really, from what we can tell in Scripture, their final farewell. This is the last time they will talk to each other ever again. And that may not seem fair. Folks, we need to remember this. God doesn't always write our story the way that we think that he should. That's not how we want the story to end. We want Jonathan to live. We want Saul to get all the punishment and all of this. And and Jonathan and David to be friends throughout their whole lives. That makes sense to us. And that's not what's going to happen. And that may make us frustrated. You may see things that happen in people's lives and say, Lord, why would you allow that much pain into somebody's life? I just, I'm angry about that. Why would you do that? One of the things I think we need to remember in this, that folks, in the end, it's not our story. It's actually, remember, it's his story, right? He grants us a role on the stage of his grand cosmic production, if I can put it that way. But he gets to call the shots. And we have to be thankful for that. Um, So in the midst of this is a sobering reality of, of the fact that this is Jonathan and David's last time. But If it's your last time with your best friend, don't you want to be remembered? The last thing that you ever did was you encouraged him in the Lord. What a wonderful way to be remembered. I pray that would be the case for us too. That we would be caught in the end, always encouraging each other, reminding each other about what God can do. Well, David's going to have to be on the run again, verse 19. Then came the Ziphites to David to Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself with us in the strongholds in the wood and the hill of Achalia, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Um, that's basically somewhere right in here. We don't know for sure where those areas are. And here we find another aspect of this. Another regular aspect of David's outlaw life is constant betrayal. Well, wouldn't that get old after a while? Here we have it again. And I think maybe... These folks in these towns, again, they're looking at what happened to Nob, and they don't want, if I can put it this way, I'm not trying to be disrespectful here, but in their minds, a psychopath came coming to their town to wipe them out. And so they let Saul know, and it says, now, therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of thy soul or the desire of thy heart. Come down. We know you want this. Come on down. And our part shall be to surrender David into the king's hand. Thanks a lot, fellow Israelites. Thanks for the loyalty. And here's Saul again 
in his anger, his narcissistic view on life, he actually sees God's blessing when God's presence has been removed from him entirely. This man is twisted. And Saul said, blessed be ye of the Lord, for ye have had compassion on me. Go, I pray you, prepare ye, make more sure, and know where his place or where his foot is. Give me even more information, and who hath seen him there? For it is told me that he dealeth very subtly. That just basically means he's very cunning. Um, Saul's obsessed. He has to have David. And so he tells these people, you wait. You find out. I want exact information. I want this guy. And then isn't it interesting that he, um, he accuses David of the same attitude that he has. Who is the one that is twisted and bent on revenge and being sneaky and conniving here? It's King David. It's, or King, it's King Saul, excuse me, not David. And here he is accusing David of this when this is actually who he is. He's describing himself. Verse 23, see therefore and note all of the lurking places where he hideth himself and come ye again to me with the certainty, with sure information, and I will go with you. And it shall come to pass, if he be in the land, that I will search him out, all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to sift before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the plain on the south of Jeshimon. And Saul also and his men went to seek him. And David was told, and wherefore he came down into a rock and abode in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. And Saul went on this side of the mountain, and David and his men on that side of the mountain. So David is running from Saul. Saul's pursuing him, and they end up on either side of the same mountain. And this is where the drama here gets really uh, intense. Don't miss this. David made haste. He's hurrying to get away for fear of Saul. David's on one side of this mountain, and Saul and his men are on the other side. They're closing in on David, and it seems to be as David's hiding out in this mountain with his men, thinking Saul's on the other side, and we've got to get out of here. And Saul sends his men around both sides of the mountain, so David is trapped, and they realize it. And in human sense, they're done for. And Saul is about ready to taste victory. His men closed in on David and his men round about to take them. Just imagine David on one side of this mountain and Saul's armies on both sides are getting closer and closer. And David and his men are like, Lord, please, please save us. Please help us. Will God save him? In an amazing way here, of course, God's going to save him. Through one messenger and the enemies of Israel. All of a sudden, there comes a messenger unto Saul saying, hurry, come back. For the Philistines have basically made a raid against the land. And all of a sudden, Saul is forced to return home and perform his responsibilities. The danger from the Philistines is too great. He can't avoid it this time. He's got to go back. And one messenger and his own enemies, David's enemies, the Philistines, God uses to save him in the nick of time. Now that would make for a good movie, wouldn't it? In the midst of this. Saul is forced to return back and he leaves the mountain, which David gives a new name, the Rock of Escape. Folks, God is fully trustworthy, even in our times, greatest times of peril, is he not? Sometimes God lets it get a little dramatic. 
we may say, Lord, I've got too much drama in my life right now. I just, could you, could you help back it off a little bit? And God says, no, I want you to go through this, but you're going to see my deliverance and my hand in this in an amazing way. Um, we've seen that in, in Pappy's life and um, God working dramatically, not in our timing, but in his timing. And it's just one of many situations that we can point to. He would not allow David to be delivered into the hand of the enemy. We're going to see next week David's psalm that he writes after this incident. And he reminds us again that our faith needs to be in God. And it says, verse 29, David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi, and uh, in that same area to the west. So, folks, just a few things here in application. Always seek God's guidance in life decisions and choices. And we need to do that tonight. As we face things as a church, seek God's face, just like David did. Ask for his help. Ask um, for his direction for us personally and for us as a church. Our prayerful example can benefit many and be a needed example to others. And then always trust and depend upon God, especially when things go differently than we, we planned. Keep trusting him. He's going to see us through. That should be our attitude tonight as we lift our prayers to him. Remember David's response.